church. Man, oh man. It is so good to uh, be able to get back into the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, as we finish up this morning, Matthew chapter 6. Make your way over as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We have one more chapter left on the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Again, I, I don't know how many studies we will have in that last chapter, but it's an incredible, incredible sermon that Jesus has taught or been teaching his disciples as now they are now gathered together on this mount up in Galilee on the northern part of the sea. There's this hill that's up there and he has gathered his disciples, those who have already received the 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 kingdom of heaven. They have repented. They are now seeking after the Lord and he gets them together and now he begins to teach them these kingdom ethics that we have been covering, these principles, the, these, these um, um, principles, uh, there's other words that I've, I've been using, but I forget them right now. They're, on my, they're not on my notes, okay? So, but be that as it may, he is teaching them all these kinds of ethics that we as Christians are to be living. And I love the fact that he gathers his disciples together, those who are following after them, to teach them. And as I was studying and going over this, this Sermon on the Mount, I was reminded of the Apostle Peter, who, who was at that time, again, a new convert to following Jesus. He had been a fisherman. Jesus calls them to follow after him. And he is there as one of Jesus' disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. And he sat there to be taught by Jesus. And when he wrote his letter, his second letter, both letters, but his, his second letter in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, when he finally understood all that Jesus had been teaching him that day, he writes this because he, he learned these, these lessons, the, the, these ethics throughout his life. And he says in 2 Peter, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, so have your pen and pencil ready, your notebook and all that stuff to jot these down. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he says, Peter, saying, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As His divine power has given us all things, that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I, I know that I'm sounding like a broken record because I keep on sharing these things to you as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and I keep on repeating them so it gets ingrained up here in our little pea brains for the rest of our lives because we need to understand this. Just like with Peter. Just like with Peter. He, he learned these things on the Sermon on the Mount and as he walked with Jesus, they were ingrained into his heart that when he wrote his epistles... 
he understood that everything that Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount goes against our grain. Everything that he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount goes against every fiber of our being. And I've been sharing that over and over so that when God calls you to to live by these kingdom ethics, you understand it goes against your grain. You're going, this is not natural for me to do. Why? Because Jesus has called you to some kingdom ethics that you and I would not have written. We would not have set those kinds of standards for ourselves. But Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, I set the rules. Not you. I get to set the rules, he says. And this is the way you live. And everything that we're supposed to do as we follow him will be practical, simple, and humble. Those are the things that we are to live by. But all those things oftentimes go against the grain. And so He has given us, He is teaching us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And these are exceedingly great and precious promises that Jesus has been giving us so that we can be partakers of His divine nature, being protected from the world and its lust. Peter understood that and that's why he wrote them. Hello? Yeah, that's yeah. I'm in church right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I shouldn't do that. I should just ignore it. It's hard. It's hard, man. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to call anybody out. Don't look that way, guys. Don't look. Just look up here. Matthew chapter 6. Turn off your cell phones, please. Um, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. I hate it. No, not not when it happens to me, I'm saying, because I, man, anyway, I, bless your little heart. Should have just ignored it. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, let's just get into the word right now. Forget everything else. <laughs> chapter 25 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add a cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day it is its own troubles. Father, bless your word, even as we've read it right now, in Jesus' name. Now, before we really dive into our text this morning, let me ask you a, a question with a show of hands. I know usually I ask questions and it's, what, what's it called that I don't need a response? Rhetorical. This is not a rhetorical question. This is by show of hands. How many of you worry? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, you were just probably worried about what the other person would say about you. That's why you didn't raise your hand. But be that as it may, we have all worried at least at one point in our lives. But if we are totally honest with ourselves, and with all of us in this room, We would have to say that worrying is an acceptable sin. We would say that. And why do I say that? Because most of us are so readily to say, yes, I worry. Most of us raised our hand on that. As opposed to admitting to other sins that if I ask for a show of hands, there's no way you will ever raise your hand because you're going, I don't want anybody to know that I sin that way. And it's true. Because worrying is like, well, everybody does it, Zeke. It's like, yeah, I know. We all do that. And so that's why I say, you know, it's, it's, it's an acceptable sin. But most of us know, or we should know, that worrying is a sin. We know that. Although we would readily admit that it is an acceptable sin. Because we all do it. And we don't do much about it to change it. Because oftentimes we say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm always a worrywart. You know, we have phrases like that. I'm a mom, of course I worry. I'm a dad, of course I worry. I'm a kid, of course I worry. We all worry. Some of us like to worry. And when we don't have anything to worry about, we worry about that. <laughs> that we don't have anything to worry about. I'm, I'm not kidding. We, a lot of us are, are that way. It's almost like, There's a shoe that needs to drop right now because I know things are going good right now and I have nothing to worry about. So I'm assuming something's going to happen right now. But here in our text, as we get into our text from verses 25 to about 31 here, as we're looking at this little portion here, our text here, we have a command from Jesus himself. And he says three different times, In our entire text, do not worry. And when Jesus says, do not, and we do, then we are in direct violation to His command. It's it's breaking one of His commands when He tells us time and time again, do not 
And yet we go, yeah, but you know me, Lord. I'm a worry wart. He said, but I've, I've told you, not asked you. I've told you, do not worry. And I would say that it is normal to worry. But it was not intended for us to worry. If anything, Jesus wants to keep us from worrying. He wants to save us from worrying. Because He knows that it takes from us. It adds nothing to us. If you're honest with yourself. If you're one of those worry warts, you know it takes away a lot from you and from your life on a regular basis. And it really adds nothing to enhance your walk with the Lord. It really doesn't. So why do we worry? Well, oftentimes, it's because we don't know the future. We don't know what what the future holds for us. And so we worry about what might happen, which will probably never happen, but we worry about it, that it might happen. We worry about that. We don't know what the future holds and so there's this concern within us about what could happen. And then we fear the thing that things might get out of control in our lives and we don't know how to fix that. But then again, we're not even there yet. And even when it's breaking down right in front of us and we're freaking out because now it's come upon us, there's nothing we can do oftentimes to fix it at that moment. And then we're threatened by all of that. So in one sense, it almost makes sense to worry. (laughs) Because we have no clue what the future holds. And the uncertainty of it all should allow us the right to worry. And then we say, Lord, you should understand that. (laughs) You've made us this way. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus is saying what he is saying that worrying is not so much because we don't know the future and we don't know what it holds or could hold. It is a matter of not understanding or realizing just how much God loves us. That's why we worry. It's interesting because Peter, again, in his first letter said to us in in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. This call, this command to not worry comes from the fact that God cares for us. But here's the dilemma that we are in. Here's the problem. Here's the quandary that we find ourselves in or that arises is that we don't always think that God truly does care for us. That's why we worry. Because if He did truly care about everything in my life, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through right now. And so we worry. And we worry because we think God must not care so much about me. Now, we may not have the same concerns, the same worries that the people that were sitting right in front of him that day that he's speaking to, that he's saying to them, do not worry about your life. 
We might not have the same dilemmas that they had, that they were concerned about, but we worry nonetheless. You see, the people that were sitting right in front of them that day did worry. That's why He told them not to. He knew that they did. And they worried about their next meal. They worried what would happen tomorrow. They didn't know if they would have bread for tomorrow or not. They dealt with that. They didn't know if they would have clothing for tomorrow or what would happen tomorrow. They didn't have the resources that we have. And because if we're down on our luck, we could find resources all over the place, especially in this country, to go get food, to go get clothing. We can get it on the cheap if we had to. We would find a way to do those things. And these people didn't have those kinds of resources. And they worried. And their worries were so legitimate. As ours are as well. Because again, the things that you worry about are legitimate. They haven't even come yet sometimes. (laughs) And you worry so much about what could happen or what might happen. The possibilities. Now the word worry that we run into five times in our text this morning is one word in the Greek. And also in, in, in the, but in the King, King James Version, it's made up of two words. Take thought. And it means to be anxious about. And in the King James it says, take no thought about your life. But it's th- that, that word worry is two words. Take thought. And it boils down to, to being anxious. And the synonyms that go along with the word anxious are nervous, concerned, uneasy, apprehensive, restless, fretful, fearful, worried. Now, knowing what we know, just as we've covered that word right now, knowing what we know and all the words that are associated with the word worrying or being anxious, have you ever associated any of those words with birds or with plants? You didn't even know I was going to throw that question out to you. You're going, what? (laughs) Because Jesus gives us two examples up here in our text when He says, hey, I don't want you to worry. And He gives us two examples about things that don't worry. Birds don't worry and plants don't worry. I was thinking about the the little chihuahuas. They're always like, eh. it's like, and we think they worry, but they don't worry. That's just their whatever they do. They just like they freak me out. It's like, what the heck? But they're really not worried. I don't think they are. <laughs> but he does say, and how about the chihuahua? He doesn't say that. He says the birds. Okay. And so he gives us these two examples of how God takes care of birds and how he clothes plants. And Jesus says something that is very, very important for us to understand and to jot down and make sure we underline. He says something really important to his followers, to his disciples that we need to understand. And we find that at the end of verse 26. Verse 26. 
where he says, are you not of more value than they? Speaking of the birds. Are you not of more value than they? And then at the end of verse 30, as he is talking about the lilies of the field, he says, will he not much more clothe you? If he does that for the plant, will he not also clothe you? The main reason why we worry is because we don't think that God really is that concerned about us. That He will always take care of us. That's why we worry. Because we don't think He can come through. And sometimes it's interesting because we go, well, we know that He's come through in the past, but I don't think He will this time. I know that He's done that with all everybody else, but I don't think I'm that important to Him right now. Maybe because I've messed up. Maybe because of whatever. And you're just so worried about what life will bring. And you think that God is just not that concerned about you. That you're really not that important to, to Him. Maybe Pastor Zeke is because he's the man. But not me. And we go back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. When we have the mindset that God is a taker. And that He's not a giver. And that's a wrong mindset. He's not a taker. He is always a giver. He will always be a giver. And He always cares for you. And He will never stop caring for you. Never. He cares about everything. He concerns Himself about you. Now, is God a worrywart? No, He's not. He knows what's going to happen already. He sees it from beginning to end. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing knocks Him off His throne. Ever. And if we can have that mindset that God is so concerned, but you go, but He concerns Himself about the whole world. Who am I? He goes, man, He died for you. He sent His Son for you. If you were the only one here, He would have done that just for you. Now, I, I don't sit around and watch birds. I'm not a bird watcher. I'm not. I don't, I don't do that. But I really don't know what they do what they do when I'm not watching them. I, I, I don't know what they do. It's interesting because the, the Gospel of, of Luke tells us that he, the birds that he is talking about are, are ravens. And we see those things all over the place. Those are the black birds. They're not crows. They're ravens. And he concerns himself about the ravens. Again, I don't know what they do at night. Do they go to wherever they go and sit there and worry about tomorrow? I don't think they do. But then again, I'm I'm not hanging around with them. I don't even think about them at night. They take no thought of what of what they're going to eat or drink. They just know that somebody's going to hit a rabbit. Somebody's going to run over a squirrel or a dog. They just fly around. Oh, check that one out. Fresh roadkill. But they don't care. It could be days old roadkill. They don't care. They just know God's provided some food for them. You're welcome. (laughs) Mama ravens 
get this, mama ravens don't even worry about their baby ravens eating in the middle of the road. They're not yelling out, Junior, get off the road. They're, they're not doing stuff like that. They don't worry about their kid, their offspring, in the middle of the road picking on something, whether it's good for them or not. They don't worry about those things. It, it, it's, it's fascinating because they don't worry about what will happen tomorrow. They don't even know what tomorrow means. They only live for today. They don't know that. And as far as the lilies of the field, they don't worry what they will put on or what they will look like. We're we're told that God concerns Himself with that. He concerns, He's concerned of how they look or what they look like. And then he tells us here that Solomon, in all his glory, with all his riches, with everything he had, could not compare to any of them. He could not hold a candle to any of these little things that grow along the side of the road. That is more fascinating than what King Solomon went through. We we were going through 1 Kings not too long ago on Thursday night. We saw his riches. We saw his palaces. We saw everything about him. God's going, that was nothing, man. Look at this little lily. And you're going, lily? Isn't that amazing? When you start understanding and seeing these little flowers that grow just wildly, even the, the weeds that we have around here, and you really look at that, and you're going, man, there's some intricacy here. Somebody planned this one out. The colors are vibrant and amazing. And yet the lilies of the field take no thought as to what they will look like or how long they will be on the earth. They, have no, they don't even have a clue that they are lilies. They just look pretty. And they don't care about the other lilies. They don't concern themselves about other lilies. They don't care what they look like or what she's wearing. <laughs> they don't care. Aren't we far more valuable than the birds? Of course we are. And won't God certainly care for us more than He will for the lilies? Of course He will. You see, birds and lilies are not made after His image, are they? We are. We are made after God's image. And He concerns Himself for us. And it's interesting because not just you and I that sit here in a church, are we, uh, th- does He like, oh, you guys are my favorites. Even the non-believers created in His image, and He concerns Himself for them. He does. So it only stands to reason That because God loves us and He cares for us so much and because we are made in His image that we will do the opposite of worry. And that we will just trust Him for our every need. Because as we'll see in a further verse, He knows what we need. I I like the way verse 27, what it says, where it says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit 
to his stature. I, I, I like the way the, the New Living Translation puts it here. Can all your worrying add a single moment to your life? The Amplified puts it this way. And who of you, by worrying, by being anxious, can add one unit of measure cubit to his stature or to the span of his life? We can't. If anything, worrying can and is detrimental to our health. It, it can possibly shorten our lifespan, if anything. That's why we have sayings like, you're going to worry yourself to death. You know that. That's why we have sayings like that, because we get so worked up with worrying, with anxiety in our lives, because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And he says to them, O you of little faith. And Jesus nails it right there. In that short little sentence, he gets down to the nitty gritty and he says, you have little faith. Worrying gets in the way of faith. It always does. It always has. And it always will. When we're worrying, it's because we have a small view of faith of what He can do. And so we have to take it on ourselves. Because our worrying becomes so big. And it is hard, super hard, to have faith and worry at the same time. You can't serve two masters, faith and worry. <laughs> Just like we learned about a couple weeks ago about God and money, mammon. You can't serve two masters. Because you will hate the one and love the other or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And when we are so wrapped up in our worrying, we're basically putting God away from us because we're, we're bowing down to worry and to fear and to anxiety and we're saying, I don't know if you can handle this so I'm going to bow down this way. Instead of bowing down to Him and saying, Lord, you have my life in your hands. I have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know you do. And it's hard because we want to serve two masters. We want to worry and then we want to glorify God. And you can't. It's hard to. But see, we all admit, but it's an acceptable sin. So I can come and just worship while I'm worrying what's going to happen when I get when I leave here. Some of you got to worry, how long are you going to go? <laughs> Am I going to miss my whatever? And you start worrying. It's like, oh man, come on, preacher boy, stop it. Come on. If you have a hard time understanding that God truly loves you and that God truly cares for you, then worrying and anxiety or worry and anxiety will control your life. If you have a hard time understanding just how much He loves you, just how much He cares for you. Those other things will control your life. And you see, we, we allow that to happen to worry because it's easier to live with sometimes. We're used to that. 
We're good at worry. We're good at it. Faith asks us to put our trust, our confidence, our everything in something that we cannot or something or someone that we cannot see, feel, or touch. Yet the only evidence that we have that God can come through is His Word. Right here. He tells us, don't worry, I got you. I got you in the palm of my hand. I have the whole world in the palm of my hand. I have everything in the palm of my hand. And I, he, he gives us the evidence right here. He writes it down for us so we can look at it and, and have confidence in it. He tells us that He will take care of our every need. Why? Because He knows what our every need is. He knows it already. Even before we think it. Even before we know it. He knows it. And the reminder of that is here in our text. That He cares for the birds and He cares for the lilies of the field. And if He does that also well, what makes you think that He can't take care of you? And I know what we might think. Well, we're just way more complicated than birds and, and lilies. It's like, no, we're not. Not to God. That's why he, he, he told us, just like the birds and the lilies, I take care of them. I can take care of you. You're nothing. The lilies and the birds, they have no doubt, no doubt, that their Creator will do what He has always done for them. They have no doubt. You're going, well, they can't really think. It's like, I know, I know. But they don't worry about anything. They take no thought of their lives. And Jesus started this portion that we've just covered this morning by saying to his disciples, take no thought, do not worry about your life. And he says it again in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Take no thought of these things. Verse 32 to the end of the chapter, he says, For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The, the, the phrase right here where he says, for after these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles were, were anybody that was not a Jew. They, they were considered the heathen. And in this sense, the unbeliever to the Jew. The New Living Translation puts it like this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These worries about what they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear, they dominate those who do not trust in God. Whoa. 
Those thoughts dominate those things. Those things dominate the world. The unbeliever or the, 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 the believer should not be dominated by any of those concerns that they concern themselves with. Why? Because we are to be dominated by the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us, who will lead us and guide us in all truth. The Spirit of God. That's what Jesus said. I'm giving you the Spirit of truth. He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to say, hey, come to me and I'm going to leave you hanging. And we go, well, he has in the past. Like I can guarantee you he has not. He might have not worked on your timing or on your timetable or on your watch or on your calendar or the way you thought it was going to turn out. But he already knew how it was going to, to turn out. He knows those things. Because he says this, for your heavenly father, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Let that sink in. Your heavenly father. Understand that the Gentile, the heathen, does not look at God as their heavenly father. They only concern themselves with what they can see, feel, or touch. And that's what they live for. And that's what they concern themselves about. As his disciples, as his followers, Jesus says that his Father is also our Heavenly Father. And he knows what you need. He knows what I need. And if he knows what we need, then it only stands to reason that he will supply all that we need by his riches, not mine. And it will be without fail, always. And he says this in verse 33, an amazing portion of scripture, one of my favorite verses. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And some of these things will be added to you. What? What happened? All? All. Huh. Interesting. And all these things shall be added to you. Here's the remedy. Here's the antidote for worrying. And that is seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. Notice that He didn't say, when all else fails, seek. As your last resort, seek. He doesn't say that. But seek first. First. We are to stop looking at the things that are right in front of us and the things that we can't even see yet because they're not here yet. And we are to seek first what we do know because His Word won't lie to us. We are to seek first that which is true, which is His Word that He holds above His name. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I want to give you some some more scriptures here out of Colossians, Philippians, and Proverbs. Colossians 3, 
1 through 4. It says, If then you were risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand, or sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. But be anxious for nothing, but with prayer, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. This is what it means to stop doing one thing and start doing another thing. (laughs) And this will be for our good and for the glory of God always. Because He knows that worrying, He knows what worrying will do to us. But He also knows what trusting in Him will do to us and for us and through us. When we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not some, but all these things will be added to us. Now, I did look up the word all to make sure that it still meant all. And it did. It also meant every. Every. I was stoked about that. Because again, sometimes we read it and we think some things. And it's like, no, all these things will be added to you. He will not hold back. He will not. If you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, everything that you need will be added to you all the time. Do not worry about tomorrow. (laughs) It's interesting, again, that he he adds that at the end here. He finishes off, again, by reminding us, do not worry. And this time he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Probably because he knows that we do worry about tomorrow. <laughs> he put it in there. And tomorrow isn't even here yet. And we're not even promised tomorrow. Not one of us. Worrying about tomorrow does not help either today or tomorrow. 
If anything, it robs us of our effectiveness today. Which means that we will probably be less effective tomorrow as well. Someone said, as I was reading, I, I stole this quote. It says that the average person is crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Hmm. There's nothing wrong with planning for the future. There's nothing wrong even to save for the future. But it is sin to worry about tomorrow and the future. It's a sin. And it permits tomorrow to rob us of today's blessings. We do that. Yesterday is gone. (laughs) And we can learn from it, for sure. Tomorrow is not even here yet. And we have no promise that we will see it. So let's make sure that we make the best of today. Because before we know it, it will be yesterday, tomorrow. It will be yesterday, tomorrow. So let's not worry about tomorrow. We have today. It's all we got. Can't do anything about yesterday. And we can't do anything about tomorrow. We got today. Now, I, I do want to take you over to Psalm 139, and we'll close up with this. Psalm 139. I, I, want, I want to leave you with this to remind you of why God truly does care about you. And He will always care about you. And I want to remind you why we are not to worry about anything. Because He truly does know us all too well. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13 to 18, and then we'll drop down to 23 and 24. But Psalm 139, 13 says, For you form my inward parts, You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they are all, they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts for me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That's why he loves you so. He knows everything about you. The last two verses, great prayer for us to give to God. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, let us not sugarcoat the sin of worrying because it truly does rob us of the blessings of today. Amen?
Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do want to bless you and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for knowing us inside and out. Thank you for understanding, but thank you for convicting us, Lord, of sin. I pray, God, that you would help us in that. God, that we would be reminded all the time when we begin to worry about these birds and these lilies that are out there and how much you care for them and how you always take care of them and you clothe them, Lord. Remind us, Lord, just how much you love us and how much you care for us, Lord. Help us to trust that. Father, I do pray that if there's any in this room this morning that you have brought today, Lord, that you have brought them here to hear a message that they are truly loved and that today is the day that you need to repent, that you need to turn from your sin. Maybe if that's you this morning, that you would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need Jesus in my life because I worry about everything. That God would just meet you right where you're at. If there's any that need Jesus because you've never accepted him, that today you would just raise your hand right where you're at and say, please, I need Jesus. Is there anyone? Amen. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, Lord, as all of us raised our hand earlier. For the most part, all of us did, Lord God. We worry. We worry about things that we don't understand. Lord, help us to trust in the things that we do, and that is that you love us and that you care for us. Go with my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord God, for convicting today. (laughs) Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.